Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello Stem Cells at Lunch listeners. Today we are joined by Dr Rebecca Barlow, the Strategy and Planning Manager at the Medical Research Council. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, Could you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and what it involves being Strategy and Planning Manager at the MRC? Yes, so strategy and planning is something that I've just recently moved into. Before that, I looked after our experimental medicine portfolio, so I was much more on the research side, um, running calls in experimental medicine and sort of keeping an eye on um, all our investments and all our research and grants there. But yes, I recently moved, beginning of this year, to strategy and planning, and that's much more looking at the overall strategic um, initiatives and overall strategic planning at MRC so a lot more looking at the bigger picture looking at the landscape and where MRC wants to be putting its money and investing for the science of the future. So um, kind of what areas are you guys looking into at the moment is there any specific goals or directions? So a few of the health focus areas in our new delivery plan are things like global health, mental health, precision medicine, really things that we were looking at in our previous strategic plan, Research Changes Lives, but just sort of a continuation and trying to take advantage of new opportunities. Oh, that sounds brilliant. Uh, your scientific training was in pharmacology, so could you tell us a bit more about that training and what it involved? Yeah, so I, at undergrad I studied pharmacology and there I sort of developed quite a keen interest in psychopharmacology and behavioural neuroscience and basically I just found it fascinating how we have all these drugs to treat psychiatric disorders and we, for the most part, have no idea how they work. There's lots of theories but no one really knows why some people benefit from them and others don't. So then I did my PhD at Cambridge in the psychology department there looking at the neural basis underlying compulsive behaviour. So I sort of shifted from pharmacology into more behavioural pharmacology then. And then I went to work in industry in R&D at Bering Ingelheim in Germany. Um, So I did a postdoc there. So I sort of got the best of both worlds, got Mm -hmm. to have my own work, sort of do my own thing. But at the same time, all the great equipment and money, basically, that comes (laughs) with working at a pharma company, no one really tells you no. Whereas in academia, you often have to go cap in hand, don't need to try and be like, please, let me do this. So I sort of got the best of both worlds there, I think. Um, But then I was at the point where... I think I was looking to whether I wanted to continue in science or go on with the view of, you know, getting my own lab one day and progressing there. And I think I sort of decided that that wasn't really for, for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I came back to the UK. I had a brief stint working as a consultant in pharma and healthcare, which really wasn't for me. Um, and then I got a job as a programme manager at the MRC and I've really been enjoying it because I still get to keep up to date with all the most sort of current science, which is really good. And that's something that I didn't get consultancy or at least I didn't feel I got um, and I still get to sort of help scientists and help researchers do the work they want to do it's just I'm not the one in the lab doing it anymore. Well you've, you seem to have done it a really nice way because you've, you've tested out various uh, paths yep. and literally found out what's worked really well for you yeah so yeah no, that's 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 a good way <laughs> of doing it <laughs> and so that's leading on to the next question is uh, why did you decide to make the career transition from research to more kind of strategy-based? I think it was partly because I was looking to do something different. I think I'd just been in the lab for like seven years at that point and it was really looking for something new and for a new challenge. And I think part of it was well, as well, I have to admit, was looking for a bit of a different work-life balance. It yeah. got to the point where actually in industry and I think a little bit working in Germany as well the work-life balance was pretty good but I'd still talk to other people about oh I've done like an 11-hour surgery day to day 
and people would be like what on earth like what are you talking about that's you, you can't work like that and yeah. I'd be like oh no actually compared to my PhD that's like that's nothing that's like, really good <laughs> and I think I sort of realised that I was looking to get a bit more of that balance back and it's not something that I wanted long term that I really love the work but when I sort of thought about the wider picture it was something that I didn't see myself doing for a long time and I thought with coming back to the UK I thought well why not try something new I can always go back into research if I want to um, but yeah, I feel quite, I've been at the MLC for just over a year now and it's something that I've really been enjoying and I felt, I feel like I've learned a lot as well. I've got to learn a lot more about different areas of science rather than just my little patch of neuroscience that I was doing before. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so your talk today is going to be focusing on the importance of setting up a women's network. And this is a really good time to be talking about this because obviously it's Women's History Month and on Friday, which is just three days away, um, is International Women's Day. So could you give us a little bit of a taster as to what you'll be talking about? Yeah. So I suppose more than the importance of setting up a women's network, I'm more trying to sell the idea of what women's networks can do for you and why they're a good thing <laughs> and why we still need them. So looking at sort of gender equality and gender balance in the workplace was something that I think I started to become interested in during my PhD. Before then, it's not something I really thought about. And I realise now that that's because I had a very privileged sort of upbringing, very privileged start to my scientific career. So I mm-hmm. went to an all-girls private school. And I remember we used to get people coming to talk about women in STEM and how, yes, you shouldn't be put off, it's for you, brilliant. And I remember just feeling really patronised. and yeah. thinking, Well, yeah, of course I can do that, because I went to an all-girls school where 50% of us did art subjects at university and 50% went on to do science. And I remember just thinking, well, I don't need you to come and tell me that I can do all these things. Of course I can. And then it was sort of, it was pretty much fine throughout undergrad as well. There'd be a few things that I noticed. And then when I started my PhD, I really noticed that, oh, okay, so there's lots of female PhD students. Mm-hmm. But as I look further and further up, and because I had sight of those people now, I was like, well, all the department heads everywhere I work, they're all men. Mm-hmm. All the lab leaders are pretty much men. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of thought, oh, this is a bit, this is a bit odd. And I noticed that particularly women with kids in the lab who had to sort of have a bit more speed, a bit more strict with their working hours, weren't working, you know, all hours of the night. They were spoken about in a certain way, perceived mm. a certain way. They never seemed to get the sort of opportunities of, oh, oh why don't you go present for me at, at this conference or do this? Yeah. And I actually went to a seminar series much like this at one of my friend's colleges. And it was someone who was a teacher and they were doing a part-time um, master's in education. And they were looking at how children's attitudes towards science either encourage them or preclude them from becoming a scientist, following a career in science. And it was really interesting. At the end, there was a bit of a sort of a Q&A that turned into a bit of a therapy session, really, and people putting their hands up to talk about their experiences. And that was the point where it hit me that I'd had such a privileged education mm. and that I never felt like I couldn't do science because I was female and there were people saying yeah I was the only you know woman only girl in my physics class and my teacher never called on me to answer a question whenever I answered anything it was always mm, well you've sort of got the idea whereas you know the boy next to me could say the same thing and it was right yeah and it suddenly hit me that okay the reason I've not thought this is an issue is because I've been lucky enough not to experience it anymore sorry not to experience it before and I think yeah that's when I started to become quite interested in it and quite passionate about it started reading a lot um and now it's got to the point where I'm at MRC and I'm trying to well in the process of setting up a women's group of our own and I think we thought it might be a nice idea if I came shared some experiences and basically try to just let everyone know why women's groups are a really good idea and what they can do and as you said 
International Women's Day on Friday. What better time to come and talk to you all? Exactly. Inspire and get that ball rolling. By actual the term Women's Network, mm-hmm. what do you mean in terms of what is involved? Um, really, there can be anything. So Women's Network, forum, group, whatever you want to call them. I think the main aim is just to get a critical mass of women, but not only women. A lot of groups are open to men as well who want to be allies in the workplace and they're really mm-hmm. passionate about um, working towards achieving gender balance in the workplace getting together to either provide a platform for discussion sharing ideas I think we shouldn't underestimate how good it is to know you have a network of women who are supporting you and also that your experience you're not the only person who's experienced these things and sharing Mm -hmm. ways of coping with them also a way of highlighting issues that might otherwise go unnoticed and hopefully being able to escalate them a little bit to then eventually change workplace culture and also I think it's important to remember that our lives aren't just our lives at work Mm -hmm. you know we everyday sexism at work that we encounter but also on the tube when there's that man who gets a little bit too close to you or the builders who catcall you on your way walking past all these things affect our working life as well because it's all you know different parts of one single whole so I think women's networks and forums groups can pretty much be whatever you want them to be and can be focused on broad issues or be there to tackle a certain issue that you've identified there's something there for everyone I think awesome that's really nice and I'm really uh, excited to hear more about it in your talk today Um, and yeah hopefully set something up similar here Um, I know that we have um, diversity and inclusion um, representatives throughout various departments that kind of help to to give some feedback on situations Mm -hmm. that people are feeling but I think it's great to have a specific women's network where we can all come together to chat and then feed on from those issues onto higher up in other other places as well and I think it's nice to have things that sort of member led and member driven Mm -hmm. so the EDI champions that they have we have a similar thing and they're great but they're very much from sort of the institutions Mm -hmm. standpoint they're looking to advance the EDI agenda which is great but sometimes I think we want things that we're leading on because we want to make sure that the things that we want addressing things that are important for our day-to-day lives which can sometimes get a little bit overlooked yeah um so yes I think they all sort of they run in parallel really nicely I think yeah the more you have the better it will be exactly you can't have enough of it (laughs) exactly oh well um thank you so much and as a final question uh this is quite broad but um I just wanted to ask what are your hopes and dreams for the future of medical research so if I keep it on the focus of gender equality and women in the workplace for I'd say maybe looking at um gender imbalance in science and not only sort of as working in science, working as researchers or working in science funding, but gender, how gender's looked at in science research. Example, when I was doing behavioural neuroscience, all of my rats were male. I never looked at female rats because we wanted to control for the oestrus cycle, see mm-hmm. if that had any effect on anything. We didn't want it to be there. And, you know, that's good. We as scientists, we want to control everything as much as possible so we can interpret our results as robustly as possible. But it means that if the drug I was testing, it was affected by the Easter cycle we wouldn't know until it, we get further and further on into clinical trials and then if it is an issue we're sort of we're a bit too far it's something that would be much better to look at earlier on mm. and there's quite one of my favourite examples is I think in 2017 there was a study of is it phlebanserin which is the female Viagra and okay. looking at the effects of it in combination with alcohol mm-hmm. and the test group in this clinical trial was I think 23 men and 3 women for a drug that's only licensed for use in women and you just think how on earth has this been allowed to happen what is this telling me this drug is only can only be used 
in women, but your test group for looking at this drug-drug interaction yeah. is mainly male. Like, I'm never going to know if anything, no. you know, specifically affects women. So it's, I think that would be my my hopes and dreams for the future of medical research, is that we have parity not only in the researchers conducting um, all, the, all the investigation, but also in our preclinical work and clinical work as well. Thank you again, Rebecca, for joining us today. Um, and we're really looking forward to hearing your talk. And also just to say to the audience, make sure that you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at KCL Stem Cells and also on Facebook at CSCRM to hear more about our research and events taking place. Mm-hmm.